0: the we're going family style deal
1: because i want a bite of your big mac
0: and i need some of your i'll
1: try your filet of fish
0: there's a deal for every friend group at mcdonald's order any two classics for just six bucks price of participation may vary single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer november 2010 local television will never be the same
2: Hello everyone, I'm Eric Thomas and welcome to local sports on NNTV.
1: Rise and shine, Niagara. I'm Jillian Darchi. You're watching Niagara Mornings on NNTV, Niagara Now.
0: I'm Rob McConnell and this is the Exxon on NNTV. An exciting new
2: channel dedicated to Niagara is coming to cable. NNTV will be fun,
0: affordable, inclusive, and will be distributed free through Cojicle Digital Cable. NNTV is excited to offer Niagrans a steady stream of up to the minute local, regional, and international news coupled with some of the most unique programming to ever hit the homes of Niagara.
2: Hi, I'm Steve Ludwig and you're watching NNTV, Niagara Now. I'm Corey Favell from Hardcore Kitchen and you're watching Lifestyle on NNTV, Niagara Now.
0: Hi, I'm Mickey Moore and you're watching Niagara
1: Now.
2: November 2010, Niagara has been ignored for too long. But the time has come, and the time is now. NNTV, Niagara Now.
0: All hit radio. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Hey,
1: baby, the planet I saw. The one we used to hear when we used to get along Hey baby, they're playing our song Let's get back together, that's where we belong It's the one with the pretty melody It's the one that made you fall in love with me It made us feel so groovy
0: Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studio in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. 1-800-610-7035 is our worldwide toll-free number. Email exxon at exon radio TV.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Exo Nation, we're so happy to have our next guests on. It's been too long since they've been with us. Marie and Charles Hall are with us this hour. And Charles claims to have witnessed and interacted with a race of extraterrestrials. He described as tall whites while serving at Nellis Air Force Base as a duty weather observer from 1965 to 1967. In his four-volume memoirs, Millennium Hospitality, he describes his experiences as fiction, yet with a series of interviews, he claims that the experiences were real and that the U.S. Air Force were indeed hosting extraterrestrials they had reached um, agreements with uh, during the 1950s, if not earlier. The uh, The tall whites are humanoid in appearance, and uh, joining me now to to tell us the other side of the coin is Marie Hall, Charles' wife. And Marie, always great having you with us, with Charles. Uh, thank well, you for taking time out of your night to join us.
2: First, let me congratulate you on your upcoming TV show. I think that's really exciting.
1: Oh, thank you. And
2: yes, thank you for having us back again. Um, I thought I would take people back to 1970. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles and I have been married over 40 years, and so I am a character reference, although people who know Charles know he's a character already. Yes, he is. Um, it was a couple months after we married in very early 1970.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we were laying in bed one night, and uh, we had been to a party, which Charles decided we should leave early from. He was a little cranky about whatever. I wasn't sure. But I found out as we were laying in bed, and he said, uh, you know, those people at the party don't have a clue about things. And I said, "Uh, you mean Vietnam? And he said, no, uh, Vietnam was the war. It was what you might expect. He said, "The, the most terrifying thing that happened to me was when I was Stationed as a weather observer at Nellis Air Force Base, and was uh, on the gunnery ranges at Indian Springs. All right, now you and I, and I have
0: to take our first commercial break. Marie, please stand by. Maria already? Marie Hall oh, okay. is our special guest this this first part of the hour. Charles Hall is going to be my guest on the second half of this hour. explanation www.millennialhospitality.com. That's www.millennial hospitality.com we'll be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break with our special guest this first part of the hour marie hall talking about some very strange yet believable and highly credible experiences my name is rob mcconnell don't go away As our special guest this hour, www.millennialhospitality.com. Charles Hull is going to be with me in the second part of this hour. But, Marie, before we went to the commercial break, you were telling us how you and Charles had been at a party that night, and you're laying in bed, and Charles says, you know, they, they, the people at the party had no idea what they were talking about. You thought they were talking, uh, Charles was talking about the people on their discussion about the war in Vietnam, but that's not the case.
2: Well, yes, this is when he told me that the uh, extraterrestrials had come into his barracks that night when he was on the Indian Springs Gunnery Range. And uh, he said, what do you think? And I said, uh, you know, I really never thought about whether extraterrestrials exist or not, and I really don't care. I just hope that if I ever met one that I would behave in a manner that was a credit to the human race. And uh, that was pretty much, you know, on my back burner for Mm -hmm. the next 30-plus years. I didn't think too much about it. And then uh, Charles had come to the end of a uh, a contract when he was 58, and uh, uh, about a month into a period of unemployment that was going to go on much longer, I came into the computer room, and he shut the screen real fast, and I said, What are you doing? And he said, I'm working on a book. And I said, really? I said, I can't even get you to write three sentences to your mother. (laughs) I didn't think of him as a writer. And I said, why don't you print some of that out for me? I'd like to read it. Mm -hmm. I went in the other room and read for about 20 minutes. And I came back and I said, how did you do this? And he said, well, I've been writing my memoirs for over 18 years, uh, but he said, the uh, experience was so emotional that I can practically relive it today, and so it kind of wrote itself. And I said, we're going to publish this. And he said, oh, no, I don't think so. You know, even if some you don't say anything bad about somebody, they mm-hmm. can sue you. And I said, so do what authors do. Just put a disclaimer in the front of the book and change their names. And he said, well... The Air Force never told me I couldn't talk about these things, but on the other hand, they haven't been exactly forthcoming during the intervening 40 years. And I said, so change the name of the places, too. And he he really just was very hesitant, and finally I just said, Charles, you're unemployed, if the men in black come to the front door, you should go with them. It's <laughs> free room and board. And then he laughed and he said, You're right. What have you got to how, what have we got to lose? And of course it was a lot of work on yeah. the manuscript. First of all, um, some of these files were on a dead but not yet buried, ten two thousand, so they had to be coaxed out and reformatted. I made him take the profanity out because I thought the story was so wonderful. I wanted sixth graders to be able to read it, and uh, you know the the other things. It was a lot of work. It was a good thing he was unemployed. But anyway, um, <laughs> the thing that I loved about the books is that he doesn't try to prove the existence mm-hmm. of extraterrestrials. After all, it would be difficult to write a book proving the existence of God if your audience wasn't open to That's it. That's right. And, um, you know, the way he just walks you through it as it happened to him. I mean, he was a young kid, fresh off the farm, and in, you know, the mid-60s were pretty naive times compared to today. So anyway, we've been very pleased uh, with the reception that the books have had, and no serious um, tire kickers have ever come to our attention regarding his experiences, but I wanted to give you two updates that uh, I thought were kind of uh, interesting to us. Uh, a few years ago, an ex-NASA engineer uh, came out to Albuquerque, took us out to dinner, and he said, I, I always believed everything in Charles's books, because when I was at NASA, I was doing very well, and they asked me if I wanted to be in the real space program. But, for that, I would have to move to Las Vegas. And he said his family uh, really didn't want to move, so he left NASA. and uh, he started his own company. and after the visit, he called and he said, uh, "I'd like to fly you out here back east and uh, put you up in a nice hotel, you know, show you around a little bit, and give you a thousand bucks if you'll just have dinner with." me and my family and a, a few friends, and, well, we'd never been there, and we said, gee, sounds like a good thing to us. Hey, it's a paid vacation, We had occasion, a wonderful yeah. time, but when we got out there, the interesting thing was um, he still has a top-secret clearance, and he'd mm-hmm. been on probably every base there is, and he said he actually got to go to Indian Springs, which is now Preach Air Force Base. They changed it in, I believe, July of 2005. But anyway, um, he was there for a ribbon-cutting ceremony that had to do with some work that he'd done for them. And he said uh, there were no lower-ranking people there. You know, it was all generals or high-ranking military. Mm -hmm. And he was standing next to a general, and he said, uh, I was just wondering if I could just drive my car off that road for a mile or two. You know, I'm not going to get out or anything. And the general just said that would be a very bad idea. You probably wouldn't come back alive. And he was pretty shocked by that. He, he said he'd never seen that kind of security, which apparently is still in, in effect today. He said, um, now I just want to say, Charles, that Maybe you underplayed the terror of being there (laughs) in your books. Um, And the other little story that I wanted to tell you was uh, regarding our trip to Rome, actually the one place in the whole world that I had always wanted to visit. And we were able to visit there in uh, in, uh, 2005, late 2005. And I took the first three books from the Millennial Hospitality series. The fourth was not out yet, as a presentation for Pope Benedict. Mm-hmm. And so it was—it was very much to our surprise. Um, on February 16th of 2006, we uh, received a letter from the Secretary of the State, saying that he was directed by His Holiness Pope Benedict, the 16th, uh, to acknowledge both the letter and the books. And I, I thought that was interesting because I had included a letter because I wanted the Pope to know that, you know, disclaimer aside, um, everything in the books was true and mm-hmm. happened to Charles. Now, mind you, I know the Pope has, or the Vatican Library, has more about extraterrestrials than anybody needs. Um, my purpose in giving him the books was simply that I wanted him to have our books. And uh, so I just thought that was really nice. And, of course, um, probably a lot of the people who tune into you know that uh, there was a statement from the Vatican, I believe it was April of 2008, saying that it was just fine to believe in extraterrestrial life. Now, uh, we don't claim any credit for that statement, but... I just thought it was interesting that they had our books now, now <laughs> before tell me, they made that statement.
0: Tell me, Marie, what does that statement mean to you and Charles?
2: Um, well, well, it was just very special to have um, been in an audience with the Pope. I mean, it wasn't a private audience mm-hmm. or anything, but it was like being at a rock concert. You know, there were groups of um, school children and seminarians and The school children had cut up yardage, you know, so there'd be one group with yellow uh, neckerchiefs and one group with red neckerchiefs, and they would be introduced to the Pope. Um, There were uh, cardinals up there, you know, who would introduce the groups from France in French and the groups from Germany in German, and the Pope addressed uh, different audiences in their native language. Mm -hmm. It was just it was just a very moving experience, so uh, but, uh, I would not getting the letter was uh, a big treat. The big treat was being there.
0: No, what what I was trying to get at, uh, and, and uh-huh. maybe I missed maybe I mis- uh, you didn't understand me was, with the Vatican coming out and saying it's all right to believe in extraterrestrials, how did this? statement from the Vatican make you and Charles feel, after all the work and and all the people that you've talked to over the years, trying to get the message out there that we are not alone?
2: Well, well, first of all, um, I wouldn't want you to think that Charles and I were um, disclosure activists or anything like that. Oh, no, no,
0: no, I understand that.
2: Because, um, you know, we know that that kind of pressure isn't going Mm -hmm. to Necessarily result in disclosure. Charles is fairly certain he knows when disclosure will happen. And uh, so we really are pretty low key about that. And uh, I mean, when you know the truth, you don't care if people leave you or not. Right. You know, there are a lot of people who say, well, you know, don't you have any solid proof? Why didn't you take pictures? And of course, the answer is Charles was so terrified, it never even occurred to him to take pictures. Um, he was just trying to stay alive at the time. So so we don't have, and uh, in, in it isn't our whole life. You know, there are a lot of people who seem to be very, very much caught up in this mm-hmm. um, E.T., UFO phenomenon and so forth. I mean, they seem to have literally dedicated their life to it. And for Charles and I, it isn't our life. Our life is our family. We're expecting our 12th grandchild any minute.
1: Congratulations,
0: congratulations.
2: Thank you. And we are going to be celebrating our 41st wedding anniversary very soon.
0: All right, you and I have to take our final break, Marie. I want to thank you very much for joining us. X-O Nation. when we come back, Charles Hall will be with me as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. 1-800-610-7035, worldwide toll-free. And don't forget, the Exxon will be on NNTV starting November of the year 2012, 2010. Yeah. We'll be right back. Don't go away. dot exxon radio tv dot com Welcome back, everyone. 1 800 610 7035, worldwide toll free. Email xone at xone radio TV on MSN Messenger, xone radio TV at hotmail.com, and our website www.xone TV.com. Joining me now is the author of the Millennial Hospitality Series, Charles Hall. And Charles, always great having you with us back here in the Xone. Congratulations on your fourth book.
3: Oh, thank you, and thank you for having me on your show. It's always great. I always enjoy being on your show.
0: Charles, um, you, you know, Marie was telling us uh, some of your updates. Uh, the fourth book is out. Uh, you've, uh, you've been traveling, and you're going to be at a UFO event, I believe, this coming Saturday.
3: That's correct. I will be speaking at the UFO Watchtower in Hooper, Colorado, um, this this Saturday, Labor Day weekend. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Charles, uh, what is the what is one of the most frequent questions you get asked when you go out and you do your speaking engagements? When people realize that you are the Charles Hall who actually worked at Nellis Air Force Base and met and saw firsthand the ETs.
3: Well, I get a wide range of questions, but. One of the most common is why I didn't take any photographs, and the and the answer is, you know, because when I was out there in the '60s, mm-hmm. you know, you're like 20 miles out in the desert by yourself, I, and you're facing the extraterrestrials. I'm thinking, and I was thinking in terms of keeping myself alive. You, you know, mm-hmm. the, extraterrestri- the the to be around extraterrestrials, and you see in my books it took me at least 6 months to get over the terror of being around them and and to control my own interferes and so on and and being around extraterrestrials there's always a certain tension because they're not human and I'm not an extraterrestrial and so there's always going to be you know things that a human might do that an extraterrestrial wouldn't understand, and vice versa. For for example, and, and you can see it in my books. For example, in book one, mm-hmm. in the final chapter, um, when the extraterrestrials were inspecting the Chow Hall at Indian Springs, you and I, as humans, think that they're going to come in the front door, but see, their arms are—they're much—they're—they're fra- they're much frailer than we are. And their hands are not meant for grasping, you know, like, like their thumb isn't as long as ours. So for them to to um, grab onto a doorknob and turn it and pull the door open is extremely difficult for them, you see. By comparison, the windows, which were just a little, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
3: at just a 18 inches or two feet above ground level, the windows were large and moved up and down easily. And their technology, because there's more to physics than what we as humans have, the human scientists have figured out, their technology allowed them to simply spray subatomic particles on the windows, which generates a different force field than what humans have discovered. And then that would force every piece of the window to repel every other piece, so the window would slide open if it was unlocked, even if it was locked on in the inside, because it would force everything to repel itself, so the window would just slide open. See, So they would greatly prefer to open the window and walk in as opposed to coming in the door, even if the door wasn't locked. And, <clears throat> of course, because they are always fear getting trapped inside because they can't open the door, it has a spring on it. Mm-hmm. Th- that means they would always post a large male guard next to the window, see, and then the women and kids and the others would go in and check out the place. Well, of course, you know, we as a human, we as humans, if you're in a, if you're alone uh, 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 late in the afternoon at the uh, uh, on a base that's otherwise deserted, w- when we go into the back to where the food is, we're not expecting to encounter extraterrestrials because nobody's come in the doors. Yeah. You see? And, and, and see, see, and so it's very easy for a human to be surprised or taken off guard or to panic when, they're, when what they're doing is actually quite logical. Uh, you see in book four in the opening chapter when, um, <clears throat> uh, when the guy that I did my first station with down Nellis, when he was serving alone in the weather station at Nellis, he wasn't expecting to go that when he would go down, that when he went down at about 12:30 at night, that there would be a group of extraterrestrials down there using the bathrooms, because you know. But mm-hmm. see, they're just flesh and blood creatures like we are. It never occurred to him that the base operations building at Nellis was the only place where you had a clean ladies' room anywhere on Nellis. It, you know, it never occurred to him that a group of extraterrestrials out looking at the airplanes and having fun and enjoying themselves, that when it came time for the when the ladies needed to go to the bathroom, that they would come up to the base operations building with their guards, open the door to the from the unlock the door to from the flight line and come in, post guard at the door, post guard on the outside. And then, and then two ladies would come in, and one would hold the door open to the ladies' room while the other one used the ladies' room, because, you know, he's he's not thinking the way, you know, he, you know, he's not thinking the way extraterrestrials think. And so, whenever you're around extraterrestrials, you know, I found there was always a certain tension because you always had to stop and remember. Uh, in my case. I'm not an extraterrestrial, and they're not human. They're going to see things differently, even even little things like doors and windows and, you know, the use of the ladies' room and so on. Mm-hmm. see, the, the, the extraterrestrial lady wasn't worried about privacy. She was worried about being trapped in the ladies' room, you see, because if the door closed and she was there all by herself, she personally didn't have the strength to open the door, you, you see. And and um, you know and and so getting that point of view took a while. You know.
0: Did you ever at any time feel that you were in imminent danger?
3: Many times, yeah. Yes, many times. Sometimes I was, and sometimes it was all in my head. But many times I was terrified and worried about my life. Sometimes with justification. Sometimes with. Sometimes. Sometimes it was just. You know me being afraid of the unknown, but yeah, I, I, I was. You see, in my books, uh, I, in the first six months, they were months of terror. And I mean, I, I mean, <clears throat> uh, in, an example of real danger is um, was the, the night described in book two um, when I when I finally stopped questioning myself because you see in the books. For, for for the first six months, I thought it was nuts. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was me. I thought I was. Uh, I thought that there was something wrong with my brain or the blood flow or something. And, and and whenever they would come, I would I would I would treat them like they were real. But I but but in my mind, I couldn't accept that they were real. I thought maybe I was hallucinating. And but you, you see, there came a day, as I describe in book two, there came a morning when I decided. It wasn't me. They were real. And on that morning, as I described in book two, <clears throat>
1: um,
3: I sat, I'd sat down and I'd done my homework. I'd, I'd done my thought processes. And I decided that when I went out to do the morning run mm-hmm. that they were going to be there waiting for me, and I was right. And so when I was standing at the light stand and, I, and, and the children came up right behind me, and remembering that their suits allowed them to float because there's more to physics than what Einstein knows about, that, that, that um, if I hadn't been ready for it, I'd have probably died of a heart attack or had from a heart attack because, you know, they were like right looking over my shoulder, like right next to me. But I then see, after, as I described in my books, after I, after I'd, you know, turned around and saw the kids and, mm-hmm. and they took off and the teacher was forced to show herself so that the children, you know, wouldn't love and pursue. And the teacher had said, um, and the teacher said to me, you're not supposed to know we're here. And I said, you know, well, I do. And it's okay with me. Then when I looked over to the wall of the Range Three Lounge. I was expecting there to be maybe one guard at the corner, the northeast corner of the lounge, and there were three of them, and they weren't the slowest, but afraid of me. And I mean, you know, they, when they started coming down along the side of the 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 lounge, you know, to 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 um, not necessarily directly, not not directly towards me, but coming down along the side of the lounge until it would be opposite me. I mean, I could see I was in real danger, you know. And and, and you see that I, because, after all, they were there to protect the teacher and the kids. And if I had done anything that say, like, touch the kids or whatever, I'd have been in real trouble. And you see, I was like, I, I was down to desperation. I was saying, you know, um, <clears throat> as I described in my books, when I find, at first they wouldn't talk to me. They were just coming towards me. And when I finally got to where I said, um, you know, I will do everything in my power to protect your children, and they—they you know, they finally stopped. And the lead guard said to me, externally, "Always remember, so will we." And hmm. and and I mean, I mean, I felt—you know—I felt like I was facing. <laughs> I felt like I—I I, I felt more terrified than when I was in Vietnam and I was facing the Viet Cong. You know, <laughs> because. I mean, you you know, aliens. You know, they they live by their own rules, and and so there were many times that I was terrified with good reason. But there were also many times where, if I could just overcome my fears, I wouldn't have been in any fear. I would have been in danger. Uh, but the fear of the unknown is really ter- you, you know you get really terrified when you're facing the unknown.
0: Why do you think, Charles, the governments of the world are not coming forth with the information and telling the citizens of the world that we are not alone in the universe, that the, we have visitors from other planets, other universes, other dimensions visiting us here, and that we should learn to live together?
3: For several reasons. The first reason is because the tall whites are not the only ones coming here. Uh, as I described in my books, I've personally seen the, the aliens that I call the Norwegians with 24 teeth. And I'm also absolutely certain the grays are coming here. Mm-hmm. And see, the grays and the tall whites are natural enemies. And, and, and see, for, if the government were to get up, you know, like tomorrow and say, well, we're doing this with the tall whites it's not just the American people, the politics between the American people and the humans that would have to be concerned with. They've got to consider the consequences with the others as well. The second one is because the American Air Force's plan in the 60s was very simple. It was to do whatever was necessary to affect technology transfer between the tall whites in the U.S. government, as well as the um, Norwegians with 24 teeth in the U.S. government, to build to their level of – to build to a higher level of technology. Remember that one of the members, one of the guys, one of the Norwegians with 24 teeth, I'm absolutely certain was introduced to Werner von Braun and Willie Ley in 1949, and the original goal of the space program, Will, Werner von Braun and Willie Ley were asked to build to their level of technology, to the level of technology of the Norwegians of 2014,
1: hmm.
3: who are coming here from, I believe, Bernard Star, a uh, planet orbiting Bernard Star. that's v- virtually, it's very hmm. much Earth-like, or the next star out, the fourth or fifth star out, and and s- s- see for. for See, for the for the U.S. government to get up and say we're being visited by aliens, you, you, I mean, the comp- you, you have to have the technology to maintain peace and law and order and stuff, as well as you have to have you have to have pe- the, the people have to be ready to accept it. I mean, I mean, it isn't just the Americans, it's the humans, it's the American humans that you know would take you know would would be you know the shock on the American human race. Consider the shock on, say, um, people living in, uh, say, um, Central Asia. Well, they're not, you know, they're just now getting used to being, interacting with the West. Mm-hmm. What would, consider the huge shock, I mean, if you went around there and said, yes, there's aliens from another planet coming here too, you know. You, you know, some of those shocks are very, you know, the shock on the, to the human race when you consider all the different types of humans living here in Europe and all of our different cultures. I mean, you you have to prepare the human race for it.
0: I, I guess, Charles, I guess to, to put it into a little handbasket, if we can't get along together, the people on this planet, how in the name of heaven are we going to get along with people who aren't from this planet?
3: That's an excellent question and yeah. I, won't, I won't pretend to have an answer because, remember there were 41 guys before me who were sent out there to the deserts of Indian Springs who didn't? Who couldn't take it? Uh, according to my logbooks, for the seven years before I was sent out there in the spring of 1965, there were 41 errands sent out there for te- presumably on temporary tours of mm-hmm. duty of six weeks uh, and rotated. Charles,
0: stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our break. We'll be right back. XO sure. Nation, Charles Hall is our very special guest. We were speaking to his wife, Marie, previously in this, ha- in this hour. For more information or to order his books, go to www.millennialhospitality.com. Charles and I return after this break. Don't go away. My very special guest this hour is Charles and Marie Hall, www.millennialhospitality.com. Charles, before we went to the break, you were saying that there were 41 other men who had gone out to the same posting that, that you did in the seven years prior. You were there for two years. Did Did any of the extraterrestrial visitors ever try to become a friend of yours?
3: Uh, yes, as I describe in my books, um, me and the teacher, and mm-hmm. Range for Harry and uh, tour guide uh, became very good friends, and the, um, I was I was credited with saving tour guide's life as well as saving the life of the teacher's daughter. Wow! And we also became friends. With, I also became friends with others that we don't that I don't mention too much of, like the one whose name was school bus driver. Those were their CIA names, and uh, and, um, and also the the one called Copilot, who wanted to be called the mechanic, but I guess that name was taken. Re- remember that each extraterrestrial is, is 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 a unique individual, just like humans. Mm-hmm. They're not clones. That you know you you, you know you have to cl- whenever you talk about extraterrestrials, you have to talk about them by name, because like for example, the extraterrestrial known as the Captain. He was a nice enough guy, but he didn't really want, he, if he had his way, he wouldn't have anything to do with humans. He didn't understand humans. He didn't want to understand humans. But on the other hand, he wasn't angry towards them either. So, you know, he was just real, you know, kind of the way you are to the nearest dog mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, another one, others like one of the generals, he um, was very uh, tall white. He was not really arrogant, but he just felt that, uh, you know that humans should show him a great deal of respect, the way many generals, human generals included, believe. And so, you, on the other hand, you had the eighth-grade girl or the teen girl. You know, she liked it. She, she she liked to come and play where I was, play around where I was, and she was maybe equivalent to an eighth-grade girl or a girl in the fr- mm-hmm. a freshman high school. And you know, she would be. You know, if you you, you might I might be walking around. The open spaces of Indian Springs Air Base, like on Sunday night, and turn around and she might be like right there, like five feet behind me, just, you know, following around having fun. And so, and so um, you, 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 each one is individual. It's that way for the Norwegians with 2014 as well. Each one is an individual. They're virtually indistinguishable by humans from humans. The Norwegians with 24 teeth are so much like us, that, if you're not a dentist, you'd never notice that it. they're really? only 24 teeth to the 32. And even the greys, the little greys are the children, of the adult greys. And even greys have their own unique uh, personality. The greys, t- the adult greys tend to be very arrogant and think of us the way we kind of think of chimpanzees, but the tall whites when you were dealing with them you, you, each one of those in their natural when they first come here they're naturally more afraid of humans than we are of them because this is our planet where we fit in where we breathe mm-hmm. the air we eat the food and so on and so see when you talk about uh you know politics and, and dealing with them mm-hmm. and becoming friends with them it's more than just that the human has to overcome him, you know, like as i described in my books it was more than that I had to overcome my fear of them. They had to overcome their fear of me, too. Now, some, like the teacher and for Harry have been here for like 200 years and weren't afraid of humans. Wow. Others, like Pamela, and that was like a difficult process, getting her to overcome her fear of humans. Charles,
0: you and I have just run out of time well, for tonight. We'll have to have you and Marie back on when we move to Niagara. I want to thank you very much for joining us, Charles. Give my best oh, to Marie, and congratulations me. on your newest addition to your family that you're expecting to hear the news about any <laughs> second now. Take care, Charles. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank
3: so long, my good uh, friend. Thank you for having
0: me. Charles Hall, www.millennialhospitality.com. We'll be back after this break, Exxon Nation. Don't go away.